Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When I first shot it, kid, big boy in the head, I thought he was dead. Like, damn, he's dead. Dwayne Keefe D. Davis, accused of ordering the murder of Tupac Shakur, wants out of jail on bail. But prosecutors say they have him on jail calls talking about possibly killing a witness. So will Keefe D. be released? And just how tough of a gangster was he? A former Copton gang cop is here to tell us. I'm Anjanette Levy. It's Friday, and this is Crime Fix, Law and Crime's look at the biggest stories in the world of crime. Dwayne Keefe D. Davis faces a murder charge in Las Vegas. He's accused of ordering the murder of rapper Tupac Shakur back in 1996. We've told you before that Tupac, Death Row Records CEO Suge Knight, and others jumped Keefe D's nephew, Orlando Anderson, after the Mike Tyson fight at the MGM Grand on a night in September of 1996. Keefe D, according to prosecutors, and his own words for that matter, wasn't having it. He's accused of ordering the murder of Tupac Shakur and giving his nephew the gun to carry it out. Keefe D, Orlando Anderson, Terrence Brown, and DeAndre Smith were all riding in a white Cadillac when they pulled up next to the BMW Suge Knight was driving and Orlando Anderson fired. Keefe D wrote about this in his book, Compton Street Legend, and he's talked about that night in several interviews. They was actually, y'all was actually waiting at 662 for Tupac and Orlando can fight, right? Yeah. Tell me about that, because Orlando actually wanted to fight Tupac, right? Yeah, you're gonna get his ass knocked out. So I ain't had hands. One punch. Oh, for real, he had hands? Oh, hell yeah, like God. Yeah. So tell me about that, Orlando saying he wanted to fight Tupac. Have a heads up with him. We just, uh, I was gonna tell Shug, let him get down. That's all. He's just gonna beat his ass. Now, it's important to point out that Keefe D thought he had immunity, but he didn't, since he'd told this story to police back in the mid 2000s as part of a proffer in his drug case. Keefe D is asking a judge to let him out of jail on bail. He says he's 60 now, he's in remission for cancer, and isn't a danger to the community. But prosecutors are opposing that request. They say Keefe D is on jail calls, furious with witnesses who testified at the grand jury against him, and his son is talking about a green light on their side. A green light, prosecutors say, is an authorization to kill, and the feds are even providing resources to one witness so he could move. So how big of a gangster was Keefe D in all actuality? I talked to former Compton gang unit officer Bobby Ladd author of Once Upon a Time in Compton to find out. I was had many, many, many contacts with Keefe D. I say I grew up with him because I was only 23 years old when I started and he was a few years younger than me, but 
I started and I watched this guy grow up in the neighborhood. We used to chase him around in the Southside Crypt area. We even arrested him at one time, you know? So it's like, I saw him become this uh, start, you know, just selling narcotics as a street little dealer. And I saw him become this huge narcotics dealer that he ended up selling narcotics all the way across the country. So um, I watched him become a shot caller within the Southside Crips gang. So tell me, how big of a drug dealer was Keefe D? Some people think that he has kind of bragged and overstated his importance or his kind of level that he reached in that drug trade. I mean, was he as big of a drug dealer as he claims to be? He really was. He was the real deal. Um, the reason I know this, because Compton, like I say, was a small city and we worked the gang unit and we were inundated with shootings and murders. We didn't have the resources or the manpower to go after somebody that's selling narcotics uh, across the country like Keefe D was. So during my time in the gang unit, I was hit up numerous times by uh, FBI task force and DEA task force that wanted to go after Keefe D. So they would tell me what he was doing. And so we would exchange information. We'd give him, uh, you know, all the people he's hanging around with and his associates, we'd exchange information. And they told us way back then that, hey man, this guy's running major kilos and PCP all the way across the United States. So he really was the real deal. Lad testified at the grand jury as a gang expert about life in Compton and what happened after Tupac was murdered. Now, the night Tupac was shot, um, my partner Tim and I, we were on our days off, and we get a call from our boss, Reggie Wright Sr., and he tells us about the shooting, and he goes, hey, man, we're here in the Southside Crips. That's the information I'm getting, and, and the war is coming back to Compton. So you guys just, just beware, get ready, because it's coming back. And sure enough, a couple days later, we had our first shooting. We were on our days off, but uh, Reggie... Reggie had called us in. One of the OGs from Southside Crips was shot and a 10-year-old little girl got shot in the crossfire. She was in critical condition. So he said, hey, man, you guys need to get your butts down here so these guys see you driving around the city, right? When we got there that day, it was kind of eerie because Compton's usually bustling, man. People everywhere, people at the parks, everything. And we were driving around and there was nobody out. I mean, it was weird. We were like looking at each other, go, man, these, these people know the streets talk, you know, these, we were driving around and we didn't see anybody out at the time. It was kind of weird. So we knew something was coming and sure enough, it did. Lad also told me they knew days after Tupac was shot, who was responsible? We had a informant call us that two days later, right? The Cadillac was already gone. So on this street on Alondra, there was a um, car shop where they repaired cars and a lot of crips and hung out there. It was a known place. We got a call from our informant and they said that uh, Gary Monk and I think it was Orlando brought this car into their place and it had a bullet hole in the back, right? And they repaired it and let him go, but our informant didn't call us till two days later. So we were pissed about that, right? So we were never able to track down that, that Cadillac with supposedly a bullet hole in it because I guess uh, Untree was supposedly shot back at the 
Cadillac after they shot Tupac and Suge in Vegas. So if they knew all of this, why was no one arrested for 27 years? Ladd says the answer is simple. No one was cooperating. You know, you have to have people who are there that's going to ID somebody, you know. So I always put it on Suge Knight because he was the one that was there. And I believe that he saw EPD, you know, they grew up together. And Suge Knight's the kind of person, he already said it, hey, let the police do it. But he could have said it, he could have told the truth 27 years ago. And we probably wouldn't be going through this now. Um, that's what I, I just put it on Suge Knight because gang cases are really, really hard. I, I've investigated thousands of gang cases and they're hard to prove, man, because nobody wants to be involved. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Joining me to discuss this claim by prosecutors in KPD's case is Adrienne Lobo. She's a criminal defense attorney in Las Vegas. Adrienne, welcome back to Crime Fix. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Adrienne, uh, prosecutors are saying, look, there is plenty of evidence to show that KPD ordered Tupac Shakur's murder. And not only that, uh, but we have jail calls where it appears he's talking with his son uh, about possibly harming a witness. Uh, we, we don't know exactly which witness it is, but they, they say that the feds have stepped in and are helping uh, provide protection to at least one witness in this case. So so what do you make of the prosecution's claim and, and how that bodes for Keefe D's effort to get out on bail? Right. Um, words matter. They're critical within context at all. And a whole transcript should be produced and the actual audio recording of that call. Within the context of the quotes that are mentioned in the opposition, it appears as though that they're saying that the green light on on, on, on them. And so it says on them. So that semantics matters, right? The way when I initially read it is that it could be interpreted that somebody put a hit on, of course, uh, Dwayne Davis's family or somebody associated with them. And then perhaps in retaliation, we have this quote I mentioned talking about, you know, we're made for war, but saying we're made for war. They say we're made for war. So it's not as though it's an affirmative possessory statement that they're making that would affirmatively show that. Words do matter. I know that there is concern. That's always something in any criminal case about witness intimidation and dissuasion and, you know, keeping people safe. You know, so the prosecution was concerned enough, though, that they got some type of federal assistance to keep um, Devontae Lee safe. Devontae Lee testified at the grand jury that um, one of the people in the white Cadillac that night said, uh, you know, that he's saying that DeAndre Smith uh, said, Big Dre said, no, it was actually me who shot him, um, not Orlando. However, um, you know, he's still putting Keefe D in the car and saying Keefe D is the one that, you know, said this should all happen. And, and that's hearsay, of course, uh, but it's still somebody who testified at grand jury. Uh, the, the thing that um, I think is so wild about this is that Keefe D's mouth is what's gotten him in trouble up to this point. And now he can't stop talking in jail on jail calls. Everybody knows those are recorded. He knows the drill. He knows things. those things are recorded. And, and that's 
think I, why the hesitation on my part is, is that you really be that um, excited, right? And I have to imagine, I've been a defense attorney for 17 years. I know the defense attorneys in his case, and I know that we strongly admonish our clients to not speak about any sort of matters such as you know the litigation of the case witnesses you're hiring etc because it's all free game right and we say do not talk on those, those phone calls period and so the fact that this statement was made as an attorney or a defense attorney i would want to know what the surrounding framework of that conversation got to it and if federal assistance was given that is okay that's routinely given both in state and federal matters in criminal cases witnesses can apply for you know funds to supplement rent moving expenses things like that so it's pretty routine um, at least the state side of things that i've seen so i don't necessarily know that that is something that is going to be like the linchpin but i understand the need for it um it, you know to err on the side of caution in the meantime to make sure that you know this is appropriately vetted Adrian Lobo, thanks again for coming on. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Anjanette. PPD will be back in court next Tuesday. At that time, the judge will decide whether or not to allow KPD to be released on bail. That's it for this episode of Crime Fix on Friday, January 5th, 2024. I'm Anjanette Levy. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you back here on Monday. Until then, have a great weekend. You can download Crime Fix on Apple, Spotify, Google, and wherever else you get your favorite podcasts and new episodes post each weeknight at 6 Eastern time on Law & Crime's YouTube channel. Daniel Camacho does our video editing. Our head of social media is Bobby Zoki. Our senior director of social media is Vanessa Vine. Savannah Williamson is one of our producers. Diane Kay and Alyssa Fisher book our guests. And Brad Maybe is our audio editor.